Sermon title this morning is on grace and giving. Grace and giving. From 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. You can go ahead and flip there. Uh, but first, I want to caveat the sermon on giving by talking to you about why it's so hard to preach on giving. This is the first sermon that I've preached on the topic of giving in, in uh, four or five years at least. We've never specifically talked about this within our church over the last three but I want to confess to you a couple reasons why, and the primary reason is the big reason that's kind of like right here up in front and center, is the reason that it's hard to talk about or preach about giving is because of fear. It's hard to preach on giving because of fear, and a part of that fear is being guilty, being associated by, being guilty by association about preaching on giving. Um, you've probably seen before somebody laying at an altar before and asking people or come give money or lay down money on top of a person or a preacher or come lay money at an altar or all those things. I don't have to give you examples, but you've seen uh, this kind of preaching that is, uh, you just don't want to be associated with. And so by talking about or preaching on giving, it's the fear that comes up inside of me of being guilty by association, and I don't want that. But I also don't want to be counterbalanced so far in the other direction that I shrink back in fear. And that's what I've done. J.R. Vassar, a really good preacher down in Texas, said this. And I think it's so, so poignant and helpful. He said, we need to reclaim the word prosperity from the heretics. God loves to prosper his children. He is lavish and a cheerful giver. And this sermon I'm going to preach today is a sermon that I would have been uncomfortable with even four or five years ago because I would have felt almost sleazy. But my sin in that is that it's God's very words. It's not something that I'm putting into the Bible. It's what God's word actually says. And it says it plainly. And so we need to rightly consider what God has to say and not be ashamed of it, not be embarrassed by it, not say, well, God, you know, you could have used some more tact here or you could have recognized that some people are going to abuse this. God is right. And we rightly need to recognize that on this particular issue. So in being afraid to lead people to giving by compulsion and want to avoid appealing to people's conscience and pulling your heartstrings to give, you should give, you should really, really give. And wanting to avoid that, I think what I have actually done, like not necessarily on purpose, but instead of wanting, in wanting to lead people into giving willingly... I have not talked about it, and I've actually enabled people, I think, by not talking about it, to not give. To just be comfortable by not giving or not seeing the value in it. And so 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 warns us about the love of money, and we begin to engage in conversation about giving or money. The love of money is the root, or is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. The love of money is so secretive in our heart, and we can convince ourselves so much that we don't actually love money. But if we avoid talking about it, the fact that loving it leads to so many pains and so many kinds of evil, if we don't address it, then we don't lead people into identifying what are the kind of evils that I need to avoid if I love money. And so actually by not talking about it, it's easy for us to continue to have a root in us that leads us to all sorts of evil and all sorts of pains. So by being afraid, instead of freeing people up to give generously, I may have enabled sin by not talking about it. 
So if we don't give, or there isn't a pattern of giving in our life, there is actually righteousness, not justifying righteousness, but there's actually spiritual growth and joy that you will be missing out on. The reward of giving isn't a promise of material wealth, although there is a promise to be enriched in every way, which we will see here in a little bit, that does include financial gain. But by not giving, we actually rob ourselves, or not having a pattern of giving in our life, righteousness and joy. We just see it here plainly in our passage here today. I want us to look at verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 7, just 6 and 7, and then I want to bring you up to speed of where we're at in the chapter from verses 1 through 5. Let's start in verse 6, though. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, now let me get, get, you, get you up to speed up to verse 6. So here's what's happening in chapter 9 and in, in the church of Corinth. The Gentile churches had more money than the churches in Jerusalem. So the Gentile churches were started because there was persecution that began to happen in Jerusalem, heavy persecution that began to happen, and there was what's called the dispersion. People left Jerusalem and went out into these Gentile churches, and the message of the gospel went out into these territories outside of Jerusalem. And they were more affluent. Now, the church in Macedonia had a lot of poverty, okay? But still, even in their poverty, they gave. They had more even in their poverty than those who were in Jerusalem, who had remained in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem was under a lot of scrutiny. They faced poverty. They faced persecution. And the Gentile churches had enough, not just for themselves, but they also had overflow. So they could take care of themselves, their little assemblies, their churches, and then they had extra. And so Paul was writing to them and to, appealing to them that out of their overflow, they needed to give to those who were in poverty in Jerusalem. And so Paul tells the church in, in, in Corinth, I'm confident of your generosity. I'm not going to be embarrassed by you. I know that we won't be embarrassed by you, which is what he says in, uh, in, verse, in verse 4. And so he's confident that the church in Corinth is going to have enough for their people, for their in Corinth, and also overflow to give to missions and to need outside of Corinth. And this is the case in most churches today in America. We have enough to take care of our local churches and we give outside of our churches. The pattern of giving remains the same for the people of God today. Take care of your people here and then give out for the mission of God out there. And then... In verse 6, he says, the point is this. This is the point. So he brings it to a really clear point in verse 6. The first four words, the point is this. Okay, Paul, what's the point? What's the point to the church in Corinth? And then what's the point for us? And he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Um, this is simple. And it's very clear. It's both the principle and the promise. Whoever sows little will reap little. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So the closed-handed person, the hoarder, the one who keeps everything for themselves, will reap very little. There may still be some reaping there, but the person who takes, like the talents, who, the, the people that were entrusted with the talents, the story of the talents, or the parable of the talents, who went and put the money down and, and buried it and gave the money back, 
to the master or the one who went and put it into the bank and got a little bit of interest. Jesus said you should at least have done that. But for those who are closed-handed and just want to hold on and hoard and gather to themselves, they're going to reap little. The hoarder, in the end, the one who just gathers everything and holds on to it, does not believe God will provide in the future and has no faith to be obedient. They just believe, I'm independent. If anybody's going to take care of me, it's not going to be God or anybody else. It's simply going to be me. So I'm going to hold on. And I'm going to clench my fists. And if I get that penny that is on the ground... I'm going to go and put it in my piggy bank. I'm going to hold on to it. In a lot of ways, it sounds like wisdom. The hoarder can defend themselves because they call it wisdom and prudence. Saving it for a rainy day. I'm holding on to it for the future. I'm putting it away for something in the future, which we do need to be wise. We do need to be prudent in how we handle money. But the hoarder doesn't believe that God will take care of my tomorrow. I have to take care of my tomorrow. But the open-handed, generous person will reap a lot, bountifully. And there's no interpretation required here. None. It just says it. So little, reap little. So much, reap much. Everybody on the same page? Pretty simple, right? If you hold on, you're going to reap little. If you give, you're going to reap a lot. Okay? And from this passage, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see five primary things that I want us to think about and think about deeply and be challenged by. Number one, what are we to sow? What is this sowing? Okay, because we're not actually farmers out here. Some, some maybe have experienced like a fall crop or, you know, do your summer garden or whatever, and you've sown some seeds before. And if you sow a lot of seeds in the ground, you, you get more. If you sow more seeds in the ground, you get more produce, you get more of a harvest, so you get that principle. If you sow one seed, you're going to get one plant. If you sow ten, you're going to get ten, then the deer will eat them all, but more will come up. So what are we to sow? What, number two, what will be reaped? What is it that's going to be reaped? Number three, what are we to do with it? What are we supposed to do with what we, what's, what's reaped? Number four, what are the results of what we of what doing what we do with what we reap what are the results and then number 5 what produces a sowing church what produces a sower so number 1 what to sow look at verse 7 each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver the sowing in the context of first or second corinthians the sowing is money Now, it does not mean that you don't give or provide in other ways, but the sowing in context is money. This is what is to be given, money. Christians are commanded to give money to the Lord, and to give to the church is to give to the Lord. Give out of the overflow of your heart for the glory of God is to give to the Lord. It may be putting money in a box in the back. It may be sending money to a ministry, but it is giving to the Lord. And notice we are told how to give. And it's not a tithe. He could have said to each one of you, here's the law, here's the command. I want you to give and here's how much I want to give. And sometimes a law would just make things so much simpler sometimes. Like God just tell me exactly what to do and dot every I and cross every T for me. And it's almost like the appeal of the Old Testament cries out to us. Just If I can just check the box and know I'm actually doing exactly what I'm supposed to do, I would feel a little bit better about it. The law, we get sucked back into the law quickly because the law in a lot of ways is appealing. 
especially for those who are good at checking boxes. I'm good at this, get this done, get this done, get this done. The law is appealing because I want to be able to measure something. But so often in the area of the heart, it's hard to measure. What's going on in my heart? That's a harder question to answer than did I give 10%? Because I know if I've given 10% or not. He doesn't say give a tithe. That's not the giving principle in the New Testament. Now, this is interesting. My father-in-law was talking to him last week. Dennis, thanks for, for your help on this. I love getting advice and talking to people. And if you're ever studying a passage, if we're preaching through the Bible, that we're in Esther, and you're reading ahead and studying ahead, and you get a nugget or you get something that's helpful for you from that passage and that you see, tell me about it because that helps me to be a better preacher. It helps me see the passage more clearly than I would have, would have before. But in Genesis chapter 14, God sends Abram and his 300 men on a rescue mission because Lot is kidnapped and his family, and they were taken up north, and Lot goes on this mission, the real 300 story, and he takes down kings and rulers and armies. This 300 men go and they rescue Lot and come back, and they come back, and then out of the overflow of Abram's heart, he gives 10% to Melchizedek who is an image of or represent, representative of Jesus, he gives 10% of everything to the Lord by giving to Melchizedek. And this is not a command. It wasn't a command to give. It was out of his own heart. It was pre-law. Abram was simply grateful. Only God, only God could have helped me and my 300 men defeat these armies. And only God could have helped me find my brother Lot and bring him back uh, wait, Brother Lot? Nephew Lot. Only, only God could have helped me find my nephew Lot and his family and get him all the way back. And out of the overflow of his heart, God, I, I just want to give. And he gives. So this principle is both pre and post law. We're not talking about law. We're talking about giving from the heart, being grateful what, for what God has done in your life. And then in your heart, there's a decision that's made. Each must give. So you see that must give. So to not give 10% is that's not a sin. Okay? If you're not giving 10, if you're not giving a tithe, that's not a, that's not a sin. But if you're not giving anything ever, then actually violates God's word that says to give as your as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But how much? How much, Paul? How much, Paul? Well, decide in your heart how much. Decide in your heart how much. But give something, it may be 10 cents. It may be 20, but decide in your heart. Ask the Lord. There's not a command here. <laughs> give 10%, 20%, but give. And then, after you make the decision, after you pray, God, what do you want me to give? And after you make the decision, as you look at your accounts and look at debts and paying off debts and all this kind of stuff, as you're looking and being reasonable and responsible financially, okay, how much do I want to give? What, what do I want to give to the Lord because he's been so gracious to me? And then give it joyfully. So not just give, but give it joyfully. Now this is a pattern because there's going to be times for us that giving is painful. Where to give it feels like I've got to pry this out of my hand and it just feels like oh, everything in my heart says don't do this. But I know to do this will lead to joy. 
And so there's going to be times where it doesn't feel like joy to give, but the command is still there. God, make this joyful for me, to give to you. Make it joyful. So number one, what do we sow? We sow money, and there's no law. Give this much percentage, give that much percentage, but decide in your heart. How much do you want to give? And then give it. What will be reaped? Number two, what will be reaped? Well, in verse 8 through 10, we're told. So we're sowing money. What's going to be reaped? Give money to the Lord. What comes back? Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now this is so cool. Because when we talk about giving, we start to think about, okay, like this is going to either like be convicting in like a law sort of way where we're going to be we're going to start thinking through okay what are what do I need to give and there's so much there's just so much good news in this for you and I think for many of us in thinking about what we give or don't give in some of those areas of sin in our life or struggles in our life we're missing out on extra grace that is available to us because we're holding on okay first what's going to be reaped well, abounding grace. God is, may, is able to make all grace abound to you. Let me ask you this. Do you want more grace? I mean, really? <laughs> Anybody else? How precious is grace? I mean, we're, we're a grace bunch here, right? I mean, you stumble upon the grace of God and it changes your life forever. I mean, it changes you. God's unmerited favor. You mean I didn't deserve any of this? I can't earn it? And at first you kind of get upset about it. How dare God give me a gift for free? How dare me not earn something? Sorry. Grace can't be earned. Can't be purchased. Can't be bought. Grace is a gift. And then there's this extra grace that comes and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And then apparently there's grace to be unlocked measures of God's grace that be given as we begin to open our hands. He can make all grace abound to you. As you're sowing, you're getting grace back. How does that work? I don't know. But he gives more grace, grace abounding to you, so that the reason this grace comes your way, what you're reaping, okay, what's being reaped is abounding grace, so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every Good work. Here's the deal. As you sow, God will make you sufficient for every good work he calls you to. Anything he asks you to do, as we begin to open our hands and live a generous life, anything he asks you to do, he's going to provide for any good work. In, in our life, God has good works prepared for us in the future. More of them. And as we give... And as we are being faithful over what's entrusted with little, it's just like with our, you know, in, in some ways, not just like, these can be a little hairy when you start talking about a father-son relationship on this earth. But with your kids, as you see your children managing, we're starting this allowance deal, so $4 every, every couple weeks for 
uh, for ransom as he cleans his room. What else do you got to do? What's your chores? <laughs> I'll, I'll clean your room and take out the recycling. You got to take out the recycling. These these uh, chores that he's got to do and get four dollars. And as we see our children doing well with money and not squandering it, we're, we're going to teach. He's not going to have free reign on what to do with his money. But more responsibility comes. As children get older and as they grow, there's more and more and greater and greater responsibility that's given. In the kingdom, it is much, not exactly the same way, but much the same way. So abounding grace, so we will be sufficient to do everything that God's called us to do, every good work. And it's just like in Psalm 112, 9, as you give to the poor... Your righteousness endures forever. Now, this is an interesting connection. Righteousness, so not justifying righteousness, like being saved, but spiritual growth, sanctification, is something that is reaped through giving, through sowing. You sowed money, you sow money. One of the things that's reaped is godliness. It produces righteousness. Verse 10 explains it. A little bit further. Look at verse 10 again. He who supplies seed to the sower. Who is the seed supplier? Anybody? God. We all see it. God supplies seed. Any money, any possession that you have, it is because God has supplied it. And he gives the seed to the sower and bread for food. Anything you have in this life, all of it, it is God's. It is a gift from him. Anything that I have, it's not because I have earned it or somehow acquired seed myself. Anything I have has been gifted to me by God. And it says in verse 10 that he will multiply the seed. Verse 10 the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's the connection with righteousness again. Multiply the seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he will multiply the seed for what reason? Well, two reasons are stated. For sowing more, for sowing more, sowing seed, so being able to sow more, and secondly, the increase of your harvest, or increase of your righteousness. So sanctification, spiritual growth, growing in Christ, defeating sin is connected, that harvest is connected to sowing seed. So I have to think, what areas of my life, okay, as I consider giving, and not just giving like the number that I give and all that kind of stuff, like a percentage that I give, because I can give and not be generous. I can give according to the law and just give begrudgingly or just closed-fisted or something like that. But as I give from, from the heart, and if I give more, what areas of my life right now am I fighting, am I battling, that God would give a harvest of righteousness in that particular area because that pocket of love of money is beginning to be released? A love that I didn't know existed. And as my life becomes more and more generous, this harvest, and as that seed is sown, seed is sown, seed is sown, that harvest comes, and it's righteousness, it's holiness. Does anybody want more holiness, Christ-likeness? 
Okay, this passage tells us that this is an, it's not the only way, but this is a part of the process of becoming more Christ-like. Is sowing seed. God will multiply the seed to continue to be sowed. Giving is a part of what grows us in Christ. It's a way to kill sin. It's a way to grow in Christ's likeness. Now, verse 11, it says also that we're going to be enriched in every way. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched in every way. I want you to look right at me. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. What does that mean? It means that you'll be enriched in every way. That's what it means. We don't get to do gymnastics around it. But, 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 but. It just means you're going to be enriched in every way. In every way. This is cross-culture. It's not just for America. It's for Central Africa. It's for India. It's the poorest of the poor slums around the world. As we give whatever we may have. We may be like that poor woman who gave all that she had. All that she had. These are last coins. Here, God, this is yours. Enrichment in every way comes back. That's how sowing and reaping works. If you sow something, there's going to be something that's going to be reaped. Here, you're going to be enriched in every way. This is what we can expect. As we live generously, as we do well with little, God will entrust us with more. And wealth, we know it's measured in every single culture differently. So like poverty line is different in America. It's different from county to county. And it's different from nation to nation. This isn't saying that if people in the Central Africa will begin to give, that they're going to be rich just like we are over in this country. Or it doesn't mean if you begin to give, you're going to be rich like the richest of the richest because globe, the global scale and all those sorts of things. But it simply means as you give, God will enrich your life in every way. It's just, there's all different things we could do to caveat it, but it just says it. And I think it's right for us to consider it and consider it rightly. This is what we can expect. This is for every single Christian. No matter who you are, believer, if you are committed to giving to the Lord, not as a get-rich hack, not as a principle to get you some, some, some more for yourself, not for your eyes to begin to light up and say, that's the way that I can make more money, but out of love for him and Jesus' bride, he will entrust you with more. This is an absolute promise from his word. It's a promise. In time, in time, God will enrich you with more so that you can do more for the kingdom of God. It's a promise with a pur purpose. What then, as God begins to provide, as God begins to grow us in Christ's likeness and in godliness, as the grace upon grace comes upon us, and as we are enriched in every way, what are we to do with what we reaped? What are we to do with it? Let me, okay, let me just, okay, anecdotal evidence here. How many people in the room can testify that God has taken care of you? That just like Samuel, God has got you this far. Up to this point, God has been with me. Okay. He provides. Elizabeth Elliot said, he provides our needs, so if you don't have it, you don't need it. 
He provides our needs. So if you don't have it, you don't need it. Isn't that cool? He is taking care of us. And he promises. And the arc of our existence, the arc of our existence, is becoming the type of people whom God can entrust this entire world to. Who will inherit this very earth. And we will reign with Christ. Having responsibility over the grass of the field. And over the trees. And over the birds. And over the lions. This is coming our way. By God's grace we are coming the kind of people who will be entrusted with much. So what are we to do with what is reaped? Well we are to be generous in every way. To be generous in every way. It says at the second part of verse 11. To be generous in every way. What gets you more excited when you think about being enriched in every way? Being generous or being enriched for yourself? What gets your juices flowing here? I'll be enriched in every way so I can do more for God and His glory. And I can be on mission and I can see God's kingdom expand. Or ah, I can finally get the things that I want. Because there's a heart barometer, there's a test here in your heart to know, am I seeing this and understanding this in the right way? The battle of the human heart when it comes to money is over the question, who is this for? Who is this for? The seed that God has given me, who's it for? Is it for me? Only for me? Is it for other people? Because what, what? it's got to be for, I mean, I've got to eat. It is for me, but is it only for me? Who is this for? Is there a purpose beyond me? And as we look at our financial situations, and many of us may need to get out of debt and get out of debt as quick as possible. And there's some principles here. Uh, my Uncle Darren said that interest will either make you money or it'll make you, it'll make you poor. And Joe has got a great financial plan. Talk to him if you need some financial help and getting out of a pit. Okay, Get on Dave Ramsey and go to Dave Ramsey University or whatever that's called and get your finances in order. That's, we need to do that. We need to be wise, as wise as possible. The faster you're out of debt, the faster you can give more and more for kingdom impact. But so often the path out of debt, it isn't just simply buckling down. You have to include giving in that as well. You can't neglect the call to give, but you have to be wise. So what to do with what is reaped? Be generous in every way. You're enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Uh, Christopher First Baptist did this with us. They didn't have money to give, but they had chairs to give. They didn't give us money, but they gave us $2,000 worth of chairs. They were generous in every way. God gave them more than what they needed. And they, out of the overflow of their heart, gave us chairs, so we, got, we were able to start over at, at the BCM. Generous in every way. So that's what we're to do with what's reaped. Be generous in every way. Fourth, what is the result of what we do? What is the result of being generous in every way? Look again at the last part of verse 11. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also an overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So what's the result of living generously and giving out of everything you've been enriched with in every way, their giving is doing two things. Number one, it's supplying the needs of the saints. The poor in Jerusalem were being taken care of. They needed help. 
Now, this is not a handout to the saints. Paul says in, in the church, says to the church in Thessalonica, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. So this isn't those you know, playing video games, not working in, Thess- in Jerusalem and not doing anything in the body of Christ. This is people in Jerusalem who are under persecution and are working hard and living on mission who simply need food. And the church in Corinth can provide it. So they were to give, supplying the needs of hard-working believers in Jerusalem who could not make it otherwise. And here's the deal. Christians, we take care of our own. So often when we think about giving, we think about giving to the lost world. We do need to give to see the kingdom of God advanced. But Galatians chapter 6, 10, verse 10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. And the church in Corinth is commissioned to give to the brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. We, Christians, take care of our own. That's what we do. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. How many people, if you saw your actual physical blood brother and sister in need, would do something to help? That's what we do. We come alongside, we weep with them, we cry with them, we help, we do what we can. In the body of Christ, it's the same way. There are people in Jerusalem that need help. What can we do to help? Even, we, we don't have a ton, but we'll give everything that we possibly can to see that they are helped. And so rightly, if we're to follow the pattern of the New Testament, we are to take care of our families, take care of ourselves, take care of our church family, and then in every church budget of every local assembly, every local assembly, it should be money given to churches and church planting and churches in need throughout the globe. And that's what we're doing. As we're giving to both the cooperative program, which is a, 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 exists to give money and resources to missionaries throughout the globe. It's the largest missionary organization in the world that we give to every single month. And all over the world we have missionaries and unreached people that people going to unreached places to spread the gospel of Jesus. So after we take care of our own here, we are giving out there. And that's what we see in the book of 2 Corinthians. Overflows. So first thing is it supplies the needs of the saints. But the second thing that happens is it overflows in thanksgiving to God. So lest we forget, giving produces thanksgiving to God. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. I was watching Charlie Brown Thanksgiving uh, special. And sad to admit, I started crying. Um, and we have Rance were watching it. We love it. And we watched Mayflower started watching it and just thinking about all the things that had to happen and then just the desperation of being somewhere and then, you know, I don't know how accurate it is, but, but Squanto, man, if it wasn't for Squanto and what God did through Squanto, helping out those first settlers that came over on the Mayflower, I mean, thank God for Squanto. And I just started thinking about all these things and these stories. If I was there with my family and kids and on the brink of starvation and we're going to go back to England or where are we going to go? And then this idea of being the only country in the world that dedicates a day to Thanksgiving. And we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Where the whole, like, I mean, we have a parade in New York City of all places dedicated to Thanksgiving. Like, the whole world is watching Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, not knowing who they're giving thanks to, but giving thanks. Here's the good news, folks. We know who we're giving thanks to. It's coming up. And we want more and more people to give thanks to God. John Piper says this, 
Mission exists. So telling people about Jesus, evangelism, going to unreached peoples. The reason we do that is because worship isn't happening. And we want people to get saved because we love them and want them to get saved. But even more than that, God deserves to be honored and glorified and be given thanks to. And the reason we want people to be saved, to become Christian, is because God is. And we want people to know God. And we want his people to be taken care of. So we're all just giving thanks to God. We want this whole earth to be filled with God. Thank you. You're amazing. You provide. You've saved us. You've forgiven our sins. We want mission exists because worship doesn't. We want people to worship God. Well, apparently a result of out of the overflow and giving to the Lord, thanksgiving happens. It says it here twice. We'll produce in verse 11, which through us will pr produce thanksgiving to God. And then verse 12, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And then in verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. The glory of God is going to be on display because the church of Corinth is willing to give to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Guys, that's what we want. We want God's glory to spread. That is what we want. So out of the overflow of God taking care of us here, and then going out there, God, may your glory spread. That's what, by the grace of God, we want. They will glorify God. When the needs of believers are met, God gets worshipped. How many people, in a moment of need, have received a check at just the right moment when you didn't have the money you needed? Not all of you have, but let me just tell you a story real quick. I back into a Cadillac, of all things, in Carterville with my truck. I had the ball hitch on it. It was back when I had my truck. Back into a Cadillac. And uh, causes damage. And of course, it's a Cadillac. You know, and the thought, I hate to admit it, in my mind was, I, I bet I could, I bet nobody saw this. I can get out of here quick. You know, like, you've thought it too, if you've, you know, like, and, uh, but it's downtown, and it, like, <sighs> so I put a note on there, and he goes to the dealer, and he takes it to a Cadillac dealer, and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And, uh, like, you know, it's, it's going to be like a couple thousand dollars. And he's like, well, I tell you what. And I call him. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? You know, it's a $500 deductible. And, uh, you know, I did have $500 just laying around. God, I knew God would provide and be there. But just an extra $500 for many of you, an extra $500, that's a lot. And so he calls. He said, you know what? I tell you what. I'm going to take it up to the dealer up, up north of town and see what I can do and uh, see how much they can do it for. And he called me back. He said, hey, they're going to do it for $500. I was thinking, okay. $500. Well, the next week, Margaret Samuel, she's not, many of you know Bobby and Margaret, and Bobby and Margaret aren't running, rolling around in, you know, es, you know like uh, uh, Escalades with 20-inch with rent, or, tw you know, the 20s or whatever that is, and, and rolling around dollar bills and stuff like that, but she came up to me and she said, you know what? She said, hey, Jared, God wants me to give you this, and she handed me a check of $500 the very next day. It was a Saturday that I heard the news from the place north of Carterville that it was going to be $500. Margaret Samuel comes up, gives me a check for $500. Like, isn't that great? And now, it's not going to happen. I'm not saying that, okay, you give, this is, but God will take care of you. He does things like this. He takes care of us. And you know what happened when that happened? I'm still talking about it. God, thank you. It produces thanksgiving to God. When God meets our needs that way, inside the belief part is, God, thank you. You're taking care of us. 
That's how giving to a need works. The person whose need was met by God praises God. It results in an overflow of thanksgiving and people glorifying God. Now, what produces a giving church? Now we're getting to the good stuff. All right, here we go. Look at verse 15. Thank, or, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now notice, a giving church is a church that has grace upon it. Look at verse 14 again. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Churches who really love the grace of God give. A great measure of how much grace is made away from our head into our heart is how much our hands are open. That necessarily can't be measured by 10% thing where you just open, but a measure of a church really by being overwhelmed by God's grace is giving. That's a great measure. It's they knew the grace of God was upon the church of Corinth, even though the church of Corinth was an absolute mess in every other way, pretty much. The church of Corinth, I mean, they were, they were just sexually deviant people. There was crazy backbiting. There were lawsuits between believers. All the stuff going on in Corinth. But they saw this as an evidence. God, God's grace is upon you. You're getting a lot of other things wrong. <laughs> you, church at Corinth. But I know God's grace is upon you because you're loving us. It's possible to give and not understand grace, but it's impossible to understand grace and become and stay an ungiving person. Impossible. A church that gives is a church that has been graced by God. Now let's finish with a grace atomic bomb. How about that? A grace explosion of good news that just goes into your life and mine. If we feel condemnation about this, because we could always give more. Like you could always empty your bank. You could always feel guilty every time you go and get a Dairy Queen Blizzard. I remember feeling this in a law sort of way one time where I, for like a year, did Dairy Queen Blizzard because I thought this money could be used for better reasons. There's times that God, and, and God provides for you, and spending money on yourself is not always wrong. When you hear me say that, it's not always wrong. Go on a vacation, it's okay. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not, long to have, it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to be in love with money. And so for those who have Jason in the book of Acts, who had a big home, personal property, which also the Bible's for, side note, um, you don't have to feel guilty. But you do need to add the, add the question, ask the question, does it have my heart? So here's a grace explosion, because for all of us, there's pockets of our lives that we don't even know, okay, it does have my heart in a way that, that I didn't, didn't even know. Because people in poverty also can be in love with money. It's not just those who have a lot of money. So we need some grace here. And we don't need condemnation. I don't want you to feel condemnation. Because God says there's no condemnation, even for those who haven't gave a dime. No condemnation. None. So verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What's he saying? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Commentators almost universally agree that this last verse here is about Jesus, God's inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his 
inexpressible gift. And this, on the tail end of talking about giving, is a huge reminder. It's like a megaphone comes our way and says, don't forget about Jesus. God has been gracious to you. He has been generous to you. And before we rise up and say, but, 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 hey, don't forget, he has been lavish upon you already. Don't forget, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God has given us a gift in Jesus. The gift is Jesus himself. Grace is at the core of all giving, of all generosity. The idea that God has been generous with me. How could I be a person who closes my hands to needs and not give to God? If I know what God has done for me. I don't need law motivation. Give 10%. Give 10%. You're robbing God. You're robbing God. You're robbing God. I need to hear about God's grace. And if you get God's grace, if you get God's grace... God, I trust you. If I can trust you with my soul, if I can trust you with forgiveness, I can trust you're going to take care of me. Remember when Michael Kelly said a year and a half ago in preaching in Genesis chapter 11, God will take care of me. You remember that? He will. John Gill, a great pastor and commentator, said this about verse 15, and I just want to read it to you, and I want you just to enjoy it and savor it. Here's what he said. Christ himself is the unspeakable gift of God. Christ himself. There is none of us that have given enough. There's none of us that have done enough. Jesus came and he was generous in our place. He became poor that we might become rich. Jesus came and fulfilled all aspects of the law, both the letter and the heart. Giving of his very self, deciding from the inside out, I will give of myself. Anything that I have, I'm going to give it away that they can reap the benefits. We reap what Jesus sowed. Jesus, the great sower, we have sowed so many filthy, terrible things, and here's what we get to reap eternally. What Jesus came to sow in your place. Who through his Son, Christ himself, the unspeakable gift of God, who through the Son, his own Son, his only begotten Son, the Son of his love, the Son and heir, yet he gave him to be a covenant to the people, to be the head of the church, to be the Savior of sinners, and to be a sacrifice in their place and in their stead. Nothing can tell how great this gift is. So seasonable, so large, it's so comprehensive. Nobody can declare the love of both the Father and the Son expressed in it. Thankful we should be for it. And in our thankfulness, it should be shown by highly prizing and valuing the gift of Jesus. By laying our whole stress, our whole life, our whole heart, all of our interest upon Christ. By ascribing all glory of it to Him. It wasn't our this gift, it was God's favor that... And his interests by walking worthy of him and well-pleasing to him. And by communicating to the support of his cause. And to the supply of his poor ministers and poor members. And thus the apostles, the, the apostle tacitly suggests on the strongest arguments that can be used. To stir up the saints to generosity and liberality. Taken from the wonderful grace of God in the gift of his son. For it is he, of his free grace, 
of his unmerited love, he has given his son to and for his people. And with him, he has given all things freely, both the riches of grace and glory. Then they ought freely and bountifully to communicate temporal things to the poor members of Christ, for who God and Christ have an equal love as for themselves. We sow and we reap so many things. And the challenge this morning is not condemnation. But there's so much here for you. There's so much there. By the grace of God, may our hands be opened as we look to Jesus. May we, in this time of response, highly prize and take, O Pastor Gill's advice, highly prize and value the gift of Jesus. Before you consider anything about giving, before you think about or feel guilty about, highly prize and value the gift of Jesus by laying the whole amount of our salvation on Christ 